ICRX podcast. My name is Cole, aka I Christian Rock, and here's my co host, Mateo. What's up? And uh, today, our special guest is Andrew. Mc- uh, how do you say it, Andrew? Is it McLeod? Yep, it's McLeod. Okay, making sure of uh, two dimensional. Um, he is one of me and Mateo's favorite artists. We promote him a lot on our pages. And um, Andrew, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I am Andrew McLeod. I am from North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, and I am in a one-man band called Two Dimensional. And uh, we uh, do have some a ton of questions that we uh, asked our fan base. And uh, Mateo, you want to start maybe reading some of those off? Yeah, so uh, first off, you... Uh, released a is it your third album yep it's my yeah, third, third full-length album, album uh hummingbird in a hurricane earlier this year and it's very stylistically different from your other records so could you just go into like just where the idea for the sound of the record what was it writing and writing the record and the process of all that yeah so um I listen to a ton of different music. I know that sounds cliche and a lot of people a lot of people say it, but I was I grew up on classical music and listened to nothing but Beethoven until I was like 13 years old. Oh wow. And then I just <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I I was one of those kids who like one of those elitists who thought that classical music was the only good music. That's <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty pretty bad to be honest sounds like like, me with metalcore (laughs) yeah 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 and then uh through life circumstances ended up going to a different church and met a few guys there and they were super into skillet and so you got to remember i'm 13 right so Uh, like that's how it all starts skillet oh yeah everything it's always skillet right always so so like um and i actually wasn't allowed to listen to skillet but I rebelled. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, my no, I'm serious. My parents were like worship music and classical music yeah. and that's that's it. Mm-hmm. And so man, I would go to like Christian bookstores and like Lifeway and I would just like drool over Skillet CDs and <laughs> my parents would never let me buy them. Yeah. And of course, this is back when it was like CDs, oh, yeah. right? So I I've um, had a lot of memories of going to Lifeway and going to the CD section and picking out skillet or switchfoot yep. or thousand foot crutch uh, <laughs> oh yeah no anything, anything of that uh 10 year old me would have listened to that was i would go over there just life wing cds for those bands <laughs> oh yeah dude that, w- that was such a huge part of my life and so yeah. i remember calling my dad one day because i was at lifeway i was like yo can i please get a skillet album and he was like no and i was like well can i get a disciple album like and i had never listened to disciple but oh, wow. <laughs> it looked cool it was it was horseshoes and hand grenades and i was like dude it, like it's disciple come on that's straight out of the bible and he was like sure you can get a disciple album and uh, i got <laughs> i got out of st augustine place <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it was Watch It Burn. I got home and played Dear X, You Don't Own Me, and they were like, oh, that's decent. And then Watch It Burn played, and <laughs> they took they took that CD away from me. And uh, wow. said, we'll decide if you can have this CD. Um, so <laughs> eventually they decided it was okay. And so for the next five years of my life, I listened to nothing but Christian rock. Like just if if it didn't have loud guitars screaming like huge drums i wasn't gonna listen to it i would i thought it was horrible um (laughs) 
and then eventually I kind of, um, I guess matured, became an adult, and I realized there's so much good music out there, mm-hmm. in in every genre. And I think my problem with a lot of pop music and hip hop music was like, I was being f- fed the bad music on the radio, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but right about when I was 18, I was introduced to Kendrick Lamar, and that just opened up my world. And ever since then, I've listened to tons of different music. Um, and so that was kind of while I was doing two-dimensional. Um, so I, it started out as kind of a rock thing. And then I realized I kind of want to explore while keeping it centered on rock. Um, so Hummingbird and a Hurricane was, I guess, that expression. Like, I love synth pop and I love um, hip hop. So I was like, well, can I danger and heartache are two examples of of me experimenting with that but you know i mean i would say my biggest influences there were reliant k and switchfoot so i mean i can as a person who has grown up listening to those bands and i'm big fans of those bands like i can definitely hear that influence (laughs) yes yeah especially on exhausted and dodging bullets they sound there's like such a reliant k like uh like 2004 Reliant k influence in there Oh, yeah. And so that's what I wanted to go for on this album. And you might find this funny, but I started writing A Hummingbird and a Hurricane before I started writing Nineveh. Really? Really? Yeah. Really? Um, I had songs like Danger and Exhausted well before I even wrote the first song for Nineveh. Hmm. Um, but I just knew it wasn't the right time. I knew I wanted to make a straight hard rock album. Yeah. And and so i made nineveh and that and one's got a that... lot of metalcore influences on it yes yeah i remember i listened to that album i think well, it was like a year about a year ago yeah and i love that that record yeah me too i i listened to it yesterday for the first time in a long time and i was like this is still like it's still really fun it's a fun album. yeah i was like because it's not often that i get like good kind of submissions for like songs to listen oh, to yeah. and then you sent me your record and i was like well holy crap this is pretty nice yeah yeah ever since i launched yeah ever since i launched my website i there's i put like a like an email submission uh thing on my website and i'm getting so many emails every day just from different bands submitting stuff and it's just like like i'm mm. not gonna say any of them in particular but like the quality just is not there of just the songs themselves and i'm just like, like yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's no <laughs> So I literally have tons of people sending me their songs and you know, there's, there's grace for it being your first album. I've made 21 albums in the past four years. What? Yeah. <laughs> now there's only like four of them have been released as two dimensional, right? <laughs> y- yeah. yeah. So two dimensional has four of them, but yeah, there's three actual albums and an EP. So or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm in I'm in six bands, so I've recorded stuff for all of them. Um, and then there's a lot of local artists in the area who record at my studio. Um, some theater artists. So theater, I was in musical theater for a long time, so a lot of people have noted that two-dimensional songs sound theatrical. They do in a way, and yeah. That's probably, yeah, that's probably why. Especially stuff like um, Skyscraper. Thea- yeah. Oh yes, skyscraper. What a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so between that and then a couple of my other bands and then a lot of 
uh, albums you can't find anymore, but because they've been taken down because they were bad, yeah. you know, <laughs> recording, you know, starting out, you're pretty bad. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the, the message I give to all those people who submit terrible music to me is you need to write a an, hundred more songs and then, <laughs> <laughs> then send me one of them. <laughs> you know? That makes sense. Yeah, like, and then yep. just like the, all of the, all of the records just sound so completely different from each other. What would you say like the biggest artists that were influences on Nineveh, for example? Versus you mentioned like having synth pop and then like Switchfoot and Reliant K for, as being influences for the new one. What about for Nineveh, yes, the biggest influence for Nineveh is hands down Atlas. Really? Um, <laughs> yes. Atlas Not a lot of people know is, them. Yeah, no, they're one of my favorite bands. I'm also friends with Seth Davey, their singer. Oh, cool. Um, I'm, I I became friends with him after he left the band, unfortunately. But um, some of the members actually used to go to my church. Oh, that's cool. And their album, their album Into the Sea, I would say indirectly influenced. You can hear Nineveh. it. Yeah, you can hear it. Yeah. Just like because yes. it's kind of the, I, like there's kind of a sea theme to it. Like in parts of ways, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I've always been fascinated by the ocean. I remember talking to Seth Davey. I was like, I didn't mean to rip you <laughs> off, but like, I I also made a nautical themed album. <laughs> and he was and he he looked at me and he said, Andrew, there's only two things in this world that humans don't understand: the ocean and the heavens. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it was it was pretty cool. Um, so, so definitely, definitely Atlas Red is, I don't know. I think Red has influenced the way I sing because I don't sing with the gritty, like John Cooper voice. Um, but I love how, I love Red's melodies yes. and the smoothness of his voice. Yeah, I think he has that great control very, of his voice. Yeah, uh, yeah yes, yes. Um, so Innocence and Instinct oh, yeah. was. Definitely, definitely an influence. And then on the metal side of things, especially with songs like SOS and whatnot, The Devil Wears Prada has probably got to be my influence there. Which era of The Devil Wears Prada? Um, 818, Dead Throne, Zombie okay, EP. Okay, yeah. They're heaviest um, stuff. Yeah, particularly 818 and the way he screams has always influenced the way I scream. Yeah. Because I'm not a huge fan of just, like, the one note, like, just yell. like That's, like, the hardcore knocked loose type stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, and, and that's just not my yeah, cup of tea right I'm not there. into that either. But the the high fry scream with, like, a lot of character in the voice, that, that really influences me there. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and then I'm sure there's other influences, but those are the three that came to mind, so. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up Atlas and that you know the singer and stuff. Because like, what exactly happened to them? That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, you want to know? Yeah. Um, they're very cryptic actually, about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great story. So, um, you probably know they signed to a record label. Yes, um, I did so know ev- that. Ev- everything they did before they signed to the record label, they they loved. Like they they were playing bars in Raleigh. Um, they would they would play church events and so everything was kind of local and um 
they were pretty big in the local scene and then i think it was face down found them Mm -hmm. and was like yeah we want to sign you for into the sea so they did that and then once they started touring they realized it wasn't for them yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. um or at least some of them so a few members left and then seth davy i think i don't want to speak for him but i think he kind of lost the the whole glamour of being a musician and he's a very deep thinker yeah so he was mostly he was mostly the lyricist um yeah that makes sense as as well as the singer but he's always loved writing so um and he's married and has i think two kids now so it just it wasn't the lifestyle for him um but he writes children's books now which are pretty cool (laughs) yeah awesome yeah no it's it's pretty cool but yeah so he he did that and then they were gonna try and keep the band going and um last i talked to evan their guitarist they were thinking about well i i probably shouldn't say what they were thinking about doing because then if they don't do it they were thinking they were thinking about doing hymns in some sort of musical fashion they had that already didn't they like in their first yeah gospel hymns yeah, got, they want to do Gospel Hymns Volume 2, but that, that's got to be, like, the stars have yeah. to align there, so. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I'll get messages all the time where people are like, which, like uh, what happened to Adolis? Like, what do you know? And I'm like, I, I, first off, I'm surprised people even know who they are. <laughs> and second off, I'm like, yeah. I have no clue. They kind of left it kind of a cryptic ending there. So that, that makes more yes. sense now. But fun fact, Seth Davey attended the first and only two-dimensional concert oh, really? that has ever happened. Yes. Wow. It, 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 was, it was pretty, pretty bad. bad so. <laughs> <laughs> but there were a at lot. At least of... have a mosh going? Like, did you at least have... um, well, this, so this was before Nineveh came out. So um, none, none of our songs were heavy enough for a mosh. Um, and then... All of those members left. <laughs> so That's how it became a one-man band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, two-dimensional. Like, Disciple has three uh, three bands, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you got 1.0, yeah. 2.0, and 3.0. Two-dimensional is currently on 4.0, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which is pretty funny. One for each but release. Actually, yes. This is, this is kind of news, but we actually have a lineup. Oh, really? right now yes i have a dedicated drummer a dedicated bass player a for sure guitar player and a maybe guitar player interesting so yeah um but we're hoping to do shows when things open back up so cool are they like gonna be official members or just like members for the shows I haven't gotten that far yet. I kind of want. I kind of want to do like promo pics and photo shoots with all five of them. Um, I think it would be kind of like Beartooth, where you have the four guys, but Caleb Shomo does most of the yeah. recording and whatnot. Like, and there's like, because there's like four or five of them, and and then like Shomo mm-hmm. just does everything, and then like himself in terms of the recording, but then they. I'm sure they have some sort of writing influence on the actual records themselves, but as far as the recording process, that's all Shomo. Oh, yeah. Um, 
we, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see how. I mean, we all have full time jobs. Um, my one of my guitar players literally has a full time job, and he's trying to get his four year bachelor degree. So yeah. we're all busy, but we we all want to do music. So yeah, he'll find he'll, he'll find a way to work it out. <laughs> yep, for sure. And uh, so I I have faith that that will come to fruition. Um, I've always loved the recording side of music more than the live side of music, yeah. but I recognize that you have to play live. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, like I like recording and live stuff, but I think I was I probably prefer the live stuff just because like the energy, especially when you have like a crowd that's actually into what you're playing. You really you oh, get yeah. that energy going, and just when you're on stage, it really is a very different experience than when you're on stage and nobody is participating in anything. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, dude. The only oh, yeah. one, yeah, the only one I've ever seen, uh, like, have a good crowd, honestly, but that was actually, like, interactive was probably um, the encore at one of the Switchfoot concerts I went to. Not the full show, but mm. the encore. And yeah. then the entirety of Skillet set uh, show I went to a couple years ago. Yeah. Like, because Skillet set, they had a lot of, like, there was a lot of, like, uh, teenagers at their show, so, like, there was a lot more involvement and stuff, plus everybody pretty much that was there new was there for skillet mostly unless there were the moms there that were there for the opening band but uh, yeah yeah or if they want to hear stars uh, <laughs> yeah you know whenever but i go to a christian like rock show crowds. whenever i go to a christian rock show i make it a point to get the crowd going like yeah. like because yeah. there, there's a lot of people who will just go and stand in the back but like oh, as yeah. soon as i get there i remember we uh me and a couple buddies went to a red show and you know like red is heavy and then like melodic and yeah. light and then it's heavy again and we found some dudes who were like really weird guys i don't know why they were at a red <laughs> concert but like they were like they, they were funny but we were like yo you gonna you gonna do the mosh pit with me and they're like yeah and so we just started a mosh pit and got like 30 people in it that's amazing <laughs> at, a, at a red concert and and yeah, exact. But like, I'm there to have fun. So, mm -hmm. if yeah, it exactly. I mean, like at Christian rock shows, especially like when I saw Disciple, pretty much uh, the entire front row, which I was all along the front row, um, then like was like we we're like everyone on the front row was really getting into it, like head banging or jumping around and stuff. And then there was a huge gap between the front row, and then everybody else was in the back. And then it was either in the back of like the main floor, and then at this venue, there's like a second floor that's like up a couple steps, and yeah. everyone else was hanging up out around there. And we we're just like, it, "Why? Like, there's literally nothing going on here." And then finally, at the very end, a uh, few people that looked like they're probably in their like late 40s, maybe early 50s, started like a small mosh pit, but like it was not <laughs> like it wasn't really much of anything. Yeah. 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 But and sadly, that's what just when I see videos from concerts, like I saw one from Decipher Down and stuff, like the crowds are all the same at these shows. Yeah. I'm like, bro, they're laying down the heavy riff and uh, yeah. nothing more for uh, oh, Decipher yeah. Down. And I'm like, are, why is there no like 
flipping mosh pits going. Where's the wall of death, my dude? Yeah. Like yeah. if they if they were if disciple or if disciple and decipher downs somehow managed to get on like a Danny Wimber presents festival or something, like they would have mosh pits. Like even though the people there might not like them for uh, how overt they are, <laughs> they would get mosh pits just from the music alone. So it's for just sure. interesting how there, it's like such a big difference there. And then like, uh, I think. Disciple and Decipher Down have both uh, toured with Skillet, but not they haven't in years. And mm-hmm. those are like you see those concert footage from years ago, and they actually have mosh pits and they actually have like crowd interaction and stuff. Versus now you see a crowd and it's just they're not doing anything. Yeah, the last Decipher Down concert I went to was like in a theater hall place, so there was no open floor or anything. And yeah. I, honestly, me and my friend Matt were like the only people headbanging wow. and everyone else and all, all the other 30 people there were like not doing anything. So me, it's like, it, I'm going to a concert. I'm going to go have fun. Like I'm not just going to stand right. there and just watch, you know? Yeah. And, uh, the last disciple concert I went to actually Cole, you were there, but we never saw each other. Really? Which one was that? I'm trying to think. It was at the beach. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yep, I remember that. It was Sunrise, correct? Sunrise Fest, I believe. That's, I was like, that's I'm friends cool. with the um, my family and I were friends with like the uh, kind of creator of it. Like she's yeah. like the organizer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you have influence in getting disciple there then? No, <laughs> I, I I was just amazed that they were there, man. Let me tell you. And yeah. I went there, and I legit was jump into every song i felt oh, awkward same. as heck but hey even dude, it, even cuff the criminal yeah. yeah oh dude cuff the criminal was like one of the best songs like i really actually, li- I didn't, yes I didn't, yeah i didn't like that song on the record and then yeah, i heard you, it live you it. Is, oh yeah i, I yeah. hey i'll still do it um worst but, song like, on the album best song live dude, i'll put it, it that was, way it was honestly yeah. amazing live it's, it's a live, live song. song and i yes. don't know if this whole thing is like I'm not sure it's just because Christians, like, just don't come out of their shell at all. But, like, dude, every single Christian rock concert I've ever been to has it's just it, like this, where yeah. no one moves their body. Like, I went to the Cypher Downs uh, Crash 10-year anniversary tour of, like, a Relentless Flood. I tried and to go I, Yeah, and I was just amazed. Like, I, no one went up front. There was probably, like, 50 people there. I was up front. And I just felt so awkward being by myself because there was like a ten. I'm like, are we social distancing? Like, what's going on there? Like, this was even before the pan the the pandemic. So I was like so confused. But like, it's just such a weird thing. Yeah. I, and I even stayed after that to like help tear down the set and stuff like that. And it's just crazy how much work they have to do for such a lazy crowd like oh, that, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, he's got like I was there like helping them set up for like two three or take down stuff like for like two three hours after the show. Yes. And I'm just like, man, yeah. all this for people not even to at least go up front. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's one of those things that are just like it really is annoying to me. Especially as someone who has played shows and stuff before, like it's just really annoying to me to see like just the crowd's just like dead. Like there's no movement, no nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been fortunate in that I've played five or six shows and all of them have had well all but one i should say i should clarify all but one had very good crowds but that that one was at 
a, a Southern Baptist church, like right around the <laughs> corner from me. And nice. it was a great story. Like I had a friend who goes there and he was like, yo, can you like come play, like p- basically play worship for our youth group? And I was like, sure, I guess. So I got the band together. We learned some work. <laughs> yeah. We learned some worship songs. I got there and the youth pastor was like, tonight's yours. Take it away. Play the whole concert you've got playing. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> concert, uh, huh? Yeah. So we, uh, we pulled eight songs out of thin air, like that I had written and that wow. people knew, like the band members had heard them, but just during sound check, we learned them. And then like 25 people showed up and stood there and watched us. And it was pretty weird, but yeah, that's just what happens. Yeah. You have the problem is uh, the Southern Baptist churches are the ones that oftentimes aren't afraid to book bands like disciple but then they're the ones where uh the crowds just don't uh move at all and even just in yeah. normal worship like i mean i go to southern baptist church so like <laughs> yeah. i would know from first hand experience being in worship every week like nobody moves <laughs> oh yes yeah 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 i grew up southern baptist so i i'm fully aware of the whole <laughs> culture it's it's very strange it's, it's strange <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, and um, what's his name? Aaron Ashcroft, who plays okay. in a band called Forerunner, and as well as Whom I Serve. Uh, okay. They both had the question: Why two dimensions? What what's stopping you from being one dimension or three dimensional? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's an excellent question. Excellent question. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> I will respond as best as I can. Um, You're cutting out. Two dimensional. <laughs> oh no. Well, yeah, so I'll respond as best as I can. Two-dimensional, well, I've got to go back. So before I started two-dimensional, I had a solo artist thing going, which was just Andrew McLeod. Um, I had two full-length albums out, um, played some shows with that, and I really didn't want my name. Like, I really wanted to do music professionally or at least more, more than I was. But I didn't want it to be Andrew McLeod. Um, For whatever reason back then, I just didn't want my name to represent a rock band, which seems appropriate. Because all of that was rock music as well. Um, It was more of the emo, like, depressed kind of rock music. Um, So I ended up taking it down. But... um, I had a friend named Colin. Y'all probably know him because he sang the yeah. the two songs that we just put out. And we we were pretty good friends. Um, and he wrote songs and I wrote songs. And I, I was just looking for something. I said, hey, Colin, can we start a side project here and just call it two-dimensional? Because he wrote very, like, folk-sounding songs. Yeah. Um, and I wrote very rock-sounding songs. So... That's that's really where it started, and then he moved away to college and left me to be both dimensions. So <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Man, what a story! Uh, Epic. Yeah, that is a story. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, we have uh, one other question that was asked by a couple of people, and this one was uh, there. It was asked by both Andrew Bonasol of the season 
and uh, Thomas of Strength of Trade, two people that you know. <laughs> I know both those um, people. This uh, is a little scary. What your biggest <laughs> inspirations and why? So, like, uh. not just influences, but like we talked about earlier, but inspirations. Like, what were your biggest inspirations to like create music in general? Hmm. Yes. Well. Well, let let's do a little history here again. Okay. Um, <laughs> my my dad is a piano major and he was a worship leader. Um, so, um, from a very young age, he played piano a lot in the house, you know, Chopin, mm-hmm. um, anything, anything from Chopin to Beethoven to, that's where the um, classical came from. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And I remember being five years old and I asked my dad, can you teach me how to play piano? And he, showed me how to play Jesus Loves Me with one finger, just like, Jesus, you know, that whole thing. Um, And I actually played that for a piano recital that year. And I messed up, like, half the notes anyways, but people clapped, and it was just like, wow, this is so cool. (laughs) I got hooked on it. The So I was five. The very next year, I played Furry Elise. Oh, wow, at six six years old? (laughs) Yeah. The next year, I played Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. It's a wow! It's a huge jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, next, huge jump. <laughs> the next year, I played a Chopin Nocturne, his second Nocturne, and then the Pathétique Sonata by Beethoven. I was very like, it had to be Beethoven or Chopin. I wouldn't play anything <laughs> else. Um, but I also started writing my own stuff. Um, literally, like, I don't. I just love to make stuff up, and. So I guess my first biggest inspiration was Beethoven, like, which sounds weird, but like, I was so inspired by how he was deaf and yet wrote some of the most beautiful music I'd ever heard. And I was like, I can do that. And I, I've always played by ear anyway. So a lot of those songs, I would have the sheet music, but I would listen to it and then yeah. play what I heard. Um, so that's, Beethoven that's how was, I learned too. like, I'll literally, you can put up tabs or sheet music whatever but like i'll just use my ear (laughs) yeah for sure yeah um yeah i can read it but my ear is better than my sight reading so yeah um so beethoven was my first influence or inspiration was it influence or inspiration i can't remember inspiration and influences yeah so beethoven was (laughs) he was my first inspiration um and then um disciple is probably was my next big inspiration because especially lyrically too i'd assume oh yeah 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 like you're cutting out again yeah i think i'm back yeah you're back now like they're just they're just so unashamed of the message they have of preaching christ and to this day they're still my favorite band um for that reason like so that was a huge inspiration and i just knew that i was being called like i had this feeling like i have this gift i don't know why i learned to play piano by ear at age six but (laughs) i'd better (laughs) i'd better use it right um and then reliant k and switchfoot man like, I know I know I say they're my influence for, for um, a hummingbird and a hurricane, but the 
the charisma of John Foreman has always inspired me to like do something like that, you know. I was like, I mean, I got into music when I was like four or five, so like I was really young, like you. But uh, but like I didn't start yeah. playing. Like I didn't start playing. I could start taking lessons when I was about nine, but I didn't really get into it for a few years, really. Like, uh, but like the main inspirations for me to even pick up a guitar in the first place was John Foreman and Seth Morrison. So like, you can say all you want about those yep. two people nowadays, yep. but like, the they were the there's something about them that really like they're they inspired a lot of people to pick up instruments and stuff and write songs and all that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting because so many artists I look up to have. Oh, now I got to remember some famous guitar players. Van Halen. Help me out here. Ozzy Osbourne or <laughs> Van Halen. Jimmy yeah. Page. Or like <laughs> Def Leppard. Yeah, the or Beatles the Beatles. The <laughs> so they're all inspired yeah. by that. Yeah, they're all inspired by those artists. And then I'm like, dude, I'm inspired <laughs> exactly. by you. <laughs> it's it's like, funny because like, I'll yeah. see like, oh, I was so I was inspired by uh, the Beatles and you too and blah, 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 blah. And like, I'm inspired by the band, your band, not necessarily those bands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, you're seeing yep. a lot like um, and a then, lot of like folksier artists are the ones influencing like modern rock bands, I think is interesting. Like you're seeing a lot of artists cite like Phoebe Bridgers or uh, just like artists mm-hmm. like that, Fleet Foxes, as like their main influences and inspirations. They're like, you're playing metal music. Where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. No, and, and I find that to be true because I would say I listen to metal maybe 10% yeah. of the time. But it it's still a huge influence. But like uh, another influence I have is the Night Game, and I don't know yeah, if y'all have heard, heard them, them, but you should you should check them out because um, his songwriting is probably he's probably the most influential songwriter I've ever listened to. Um, he have y'all heard the boys or the band Boys Like Girls? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yes. that's one really so, big hit. <laughs> yeah, right. So this is the lead singer of that band. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I might have heard that then, actually. Yeah. Maybe so that, familiar, but I might have heard that. Yeah. So right now, those they're a hundred percent my biggest influence in the in the sense of songwriting. Now, in terms of instrumentation, I'm always gonna you know write a much fuller sounding song, but I don't know. I'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, it's like just like it influences and inspirations you wouldn't expect. <laughs> right. Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I wrote a symphony when I was ten. So what? <laughs> yeah. Um. I would not say it was good. Yes. But I did write <laughs> it, and I was ten, and it had four movements, and it was like an hour long. Wow. So. That is impressive. Yeah. That's impressive for just yeah. anybody to do of any age, much less a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of forget about that, <laughs> which is yeah. probably a good thing. 
Yeah, like, and then, like, when I'm writing stuff, like, I've discovered whenever I write stuff, like, I don't have, like, any, like, full-fledged song ideas out or anything like that, but, like, I'll, like, come up with stuff and, like, I'll record it as a demo or whatever and for the future and whatnot, and uh, I've discovered that everything I write just is so weird, like, just, like, from a, like, it doesn't, it's, like, chords that don't make any sense that sound good together and like stuff like that where it's like yeah it completely just defies the normal <laughs> like songwriting yeah it's, it's like it's just funny yeah right right now i am experiencing that i am teaching myself jazz on the oh piano boy. and just trying to learn chords i would never think to put together yeah and it's it's so cool. You and get like, such a unique sound out of them. I, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I always grew up saying I'm never gonna write a song with a one, five, six, minor, yeah. four progression, and then I kind of just realized like simplicity allows the lyrics to yeah. shine, and so I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's like like I always want to show lyrics, off. Yeah, if you're focusing on the lyrics, like you want to do like more simple instrumentation but if you really want the instruments to be like the focus of a song you go with more like advanced and like experimental instrumentation stuff like that yeah Mm -hmm. we're actually talking about that on the last episode um i don't know if you listen to it all or anything but the last episode we were talking uh about just like how there's a art form to simple three chord four chord songs that can really push yeah, uh, that can really get your attention, but also really push the lyrical content of what is being said, like on onto your like into like what you're thinking about at that moment, sort of thing. Versus, uh, there's a lot of just simple uh, chord progression songs like you were just mentioning, and they're just they don't have that same ability, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, a a good example I would say is "Dear oh, yeah. You Don't Own Me." It's a very, very simple, simple song. It's very Rick's powerful. In that, that it has a huge, like, just massive chorus that's like yeah, super catchy, chorus. but not cheesy, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I love mm-hmm. massive choruses, like ones where it's just like the tension builds in the pre-chorus and it's just like explodes practically, but like doesn't sound cheesy yep. by any means. Just is like a great catchy chorus that will get stuck in your head, sort of thing. Like, I love those types of choruses. Well, not not to toot my own horn or anything, but that's probably why you like probably exhausted. that chorus is really good. <laughs> because I'm in the, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. I like melody is the most important thing of songwriting to me. Lyrics come second, honestly, to melody because if you don't have a good melody, oh, good yeah. lyrics aren't much. Yeah, I mean, that, that yeah. tells you a lot. I mean, look look at the top forty right now. Like, look at the top forty songs in the entire world. Yeah. None of them have great lyrics. What do they have? really catchy melodies that get stuck in your head or whatever even if they, they annoy you they get stuck in your head sort of thing and that's it's all because of the melodies of them all i had one more thing to say real quick um yeah exhausted real quick going back there i rewrote the melody to that chorus over 20 really? times and the lyrics yeah i and uh, a lot of the songs on the album i rewrote and rewrote and rewrote until they were perfect but exhausted yeah that I probably spent 50, 60 hours just wow. writing writing for it. So so I'm really yeah. happy with how <laughs> it turned out, obviously. obviously. But 
Yeah. Like, uh, and I mean, there is a saying that true art is never finished. It'll always, especially in music, you'll just keep, you'll like listen to that same song five years later and go like, man, I should have done this. Or, oh, I should have put this chord here instead. Oh, or yeah. put this lyric here, you know. And that's why you see so many oh, bands yes. go back and revisit songs when they do really re-release them for like anniversaries and they'll like completely change lyrics or chords or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I felt that temptation. Like, my first album, Freedom and Slavery, when it came out, it was the best thing I'd ever done, and now I listen to it, and I'm like, eh, could, yeah. I should have done different, <laughs> like, wait. So I, I literally probably even last night, I was just sitting there thinking, should I remix that whole album and just, like, make well, it sound better? Uh, Beartooth no, just be- did that, no. actually, like, yesterday. They, or, well, today, actually. Really? They... Beartooth did what now? Yeah, they just released today a remix and remastered version of Aggressive with uh entirely done by Caleb huh. Shimo. Really? And yeah, they just released it today. I like I listened to some of it. I think there's parts of the old one that are better than the new one, but parts of the new one that are better than the old one. So it's kind of difficult. They're very different sounding. Kind of like, interested. Notice, yeah, you notice a lot of things you didn't notice in the songs before. However, I think the vocals yeah. sound very raw. Like you can hear the individual layering and and like multiple like all the multiple takes and stuff in the vocals. It's interesting. Yeah, I I really want to listen to that now because Hated has it's one of their most popular songs. Yeah. and I've always hated the mix on it. Yeah, the, I've the always mi- hated the mix yeah. on that album. Like that, and yeah. I think that's why they remixed it. I th- I think the way it's remixed. It's a lot louder because that was one of my biggest issues with the album was that if you compare any song from that album to any other album of theirs, the volume is a lot lower on it. And then huh. then just the mix of it is just very weird. And the mix is still kind of weird on the new one, but like it's definitely has more like it has more aggression and energy behind it than the old one did. Yeah. I want to get y'all's quick takes on the new Beartooth album real quick. Okay. Wait, what, what do you mean? Like, which new one? Like, Disease or the brand new one? Disease. Okay. Yeah. I, so, I loved it, personally. Yeah. I was like, I really, and I, that's not my style. Like, I'm not really, like, a. if they're considered alt-rock, what, what would you consider them, Mateo? Oh, I'm, they're hardcore oh, punk. They're hardcore they, punk. they call themselves they that, hardcore, hardcore punk. punk. They're okay. not alt-rock. They're not, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, they're, I was like, it's not really, like, my style, but, like, I got hooked on it just because I was talking to Josiah Prince, and he was like, man, I've been so addicted to that album, and I'm like, yeah, I'll try it out. And, uh, yeah, I was addicted to it. I didn't realize how good of a songwriter Caleb oh, is, yeah. and oh, yeah. I think that was the main thing that hooked me. Plus, they have really catchy choruses that aren't, like, annoying or cheesy. Yeah. It just seems yeah. like he had a lot of charisma, especially of the songwriting. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I, th- I, would, I would honestly say that the reason Attack Attack blew up the way they did was because of Caleb Shomo, not because of Stick Stickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he, he was the keyboard player in that band, and yet just, like, there's something about he's the most famous member of that band by far, besides maybe Austin Carlisle. I'd like, say Austin's probably Austin's more famous. Probably a bit bigger, but uh, Caleb Shimo's like it. I mean, he everybody knows him in this in the industry now in terms of the rock industry. Yeah, but and they're really blowing up now. But um, I th- I think Disease. So Disease came out right when I was first starting to get really into metal, actually. Like, it was one of my gateway albums. Yeah. Like, that sounds weird because, like, 
I mean, I know so much and stuff from all the different, like, styles and decades and years and stuff of metal, but, like, I didn't really get fully into metal. Like, I started getting heavier with my taste for years, but, like, I didn't get fully into metal until about 2018 or so. Hmm. And the song, the title track of that album was what got hooked me on them. And then yeah. uh, eventually when the album came out, like, I, I really liked, like, Used and Abused and uh, Clever and songs like that and Manipulation, like, songs like that. And I think parts of it, I think, I think Beartooth has never exactly had the greatest mixes. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we just, that's, it's, they've never had the greatest mixes. And I think that's intentional. That just kind of is the hardcore thing. That's where that comes from. But, uh... I thought like some parts, some songs just don't sit well just because of the way they're mixed. And I feel like if they were mixed, it would be better songs. But I mean, it is they are the way they are. I would I would probably give it about a three point five out of five, which is probably like a a good album, like not like spectacular, but like a really good album. I mean, I like yeah, I, I like disgusting a lot more than disease. Yeah, I, I was like. I'm going to try and make it quick because so I got into Beartooth on their first album, Disgusting. And yeah. I really, really loved that whole album, like just from start oh, to yeah, finish. It's a great very album. good album. Yeah. And then Aggressive came out and I was so hyped for it. And like I basically forced myself to like it because I think the first time i listened to it i didn't like it at all um but i yeah that was with me because like i like disease and i was like oh and then i liked it disgusting so i was like oh i'm gonna go yeah because like i was oh you're cutting out so basically yeah so i basically forced myself to like aggressive and then I think I think Caleb Shomo is a great lyric or a great songwriter, but his lyrics have gotten so repetitive on me now. Oh, God, yeah. Like, just I I'll agree with that. Just just go Especially through his songs. Yeah, just go through his songs and count up how many songs have the word sick, disgusting, disease, or like, yeah. I don't know, something pertaining to an illness. <laughs> like, it's all of them. It's literally yeah. every song. <laughs> Yeah, it's every song, <laughs> especially on aggressive though. Like, yeah, that was like that album because I had heard disgusting and disease, and I hadn't heard aggressive, and that took me a long time to get into any songs from the album because of the mix mostly. But yeah, and I I still think that's their weakest album. But I would, I like a lot of the songs from it now, but like the lyrics, it's like every every song has a reference to an illness, and is all about basically. Uh, how he was not the the most likable person in high school. Like that's the entire like yeah. the entire album. It's just like yep. every single song. You're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not much uh like differentiation between the lyrics of each song. You're about to make me go listen to Beartooth now. Gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Yeah. It's not like Skillet. <laughs> yeah. Also, arrangement-wise, I think that was my biggest gripe with, uh, honestly, everything after Disgusting was it is intro, 
verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown of some kind, chorus ending. Literally, you can yeah. pin every song to that. Whereas, like, um, my favorite song by Beartooth is, uh, I'm going to blank on the name of it. I have a problem. It's the best Beartooth yeah, song. Yeah, that one's my favorite, too. That is the yeah. best one. They will never top that. He'll never top it, and I think the biggest reason is it's not the standard arrangement. It has like no it, structure. <laughs> it has no structure, and it's just him screaming, and it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are the plans for Two Dimensional in the future? I know you mentioned you're starting to have a band together now and stuff like that, and I th- you did a lot this year. Like there was a lot yes. this year. What would what would you what would people have to look forward? to with two-dimensional in 2021 like album releases shows whatever. yeah yeah so obviously it's hard to say for sure what's going to happen because covid is making my life very difficult what i can say for sure is that two-dimensional has a song coming out in february called forever and I'm going to go ahead and announce it on here. I don't know how many people will hear it, um, but Andrew Bonastall from The Season is featuring on it. Yes. Really? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love Andrew. Yeah, Dude, that's yeah, awesome. yeah. 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 We're actually probably going to get him on the podcast in a future episode, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. around that time. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it'll it'll it's gonna, it's be, gonna great. be great it's, it's so, so in terms, in terms of, songwriting, of songwriting like i said said melodies, melodies are so are important, important to me and, and this song is like, is like when I, whenever, whenever i made, I made it, it i showed, I showed it, it to a few, few people and everyone wrote, said dude that's the best melody you've written so i'm super stoked on it. it yeah um i think with two-dimensional i'm i'm gonna take a little bit of time and figure out what I want to do next because I'm like, I'm so inspired by so much, but I want to keep it rock. Like, I don't want to go straight synth pop kind of like, like uh, between you and me, which was an experiment. I want to figure out how I can do something really cool. That's still rock, you know? Yeah. You um, don't want to be the next bring me the horizon who uh, just completely makes the entire pop record out, out, out of nowhere. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, so I think this year my main focus, I, I plan on releasing several songs, if not an EP, this next year. Um, but I, my main focus will be on shows, and um, I'm starting a new band, actually. So that's something. Oh, really? Yeah. Does it have a name, or? It does have a name. Um, so it, uh, let me back up. So I've got a buddy mm-hmm. named James Upshaw. He, you might okay. recognize his name. He featured on Under the Surface. So if you want to remember, did, like, what, he was in Contagion Fest, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He played the Cajon. Um, yeah. So he's he's a rapper, and I've always loved his music. He actually started releasing music around the time I did, but his was rap and mine was rock. We've always been good friends. Um, and one day I was just like really fed up with being constrained by rock like everything a rock band has to be like you you need four or five members you need like i just wanted to play shows and i just said hey man would you start a pop rap group with me and like we'll just go play shows of course this is before covid 
And he was like, yeah, man. Um, so that's called The Poster Boys. And we have a new single coming out January 8th of 2021. Awesome. And it's, basi- it's basically pop trap. Interesting. Like what type yeah. of pop? Um, that's hard to say. It's... It doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard. Can I say, can I put it that yeah, way? Cool. Yeah. It's not it's not like super electronic sounding. There's it's a piano, yeah. piano driven pop with a trap beat and I'll just send it to you. you I'll let you listen to oh, it yeah. anyway. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's really hard to describe, but yeah, that's coming out January 8th and so my main focus this month has just been getting that going. So we did a photo shoot today, um, submitted it, getting that going. And then two-dimensional is February. So kind of juggling a lot of things. Sounds like you have a lot of projects working on for next year. Yes. And I and to add on top of that, I have seven clients external to any band that I'm in. That I'm recording EPs wow. or songs for. So wow, that's impressive. Dang, dang. Yeah, <laughs> put all in that, that work, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, just had a song come out today that I produced. It's a pop song um, by a girl named Emma G. It's on Spotify. Just came out today. I might send you a link to that. It's it's definitely probably not what you would listen to. And to be honest, it is nothing like what I would listen to. <laughs> but I mean, she reached out. I gave her my rates. I recorded her a song, and it's out. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's um, kind of way you have to look at it when you're a producer. It's like this isn't something I would normally listen to, but <laughs> yeah. If you have if you have the means to produce it, why not? <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it's kind of funny. I doubt she'll listen to this episode, but it's kind of funny. I was gonna post it on my Instagram today. But the artwork for it is just like a really black and white emo picture of her in her bedroom. And I'm just like, I can't really post that on my yeah. Instagram. <laughs> it's just yeah. like really weird. I'll be getting DMs like, do you have a girlfriend now? And I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. Well, thank you for joining on the podcast. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the invitation it was, it was very fun yeah yeah it was a lot of fun and hopefully we can yeah uh, and anytime y'all want to hopefully we can get uh some more people to go and tune in and listen stream your music yeah. yeah oh yeah i really appreciate it y'all have helped a ton with the playlists and just helping helping me get the push out whenever i release something it's super awesome and i really appreciate it yeah, we 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 appreciate you making some good music, keeping the scene alive. So, yeah. I like because there's not a lot of bands I would say right now um, that are like super active. I know like in the Christian metal scene, that scene's doing really well, but like kind of the Christian yeah. rock scene just in general is not really that active. It's very yeah. few bands, it's so you're very refreshing to hear. Yeah. No, it's it is really interesting to see a lot of the proclaimed like the grizzly awards for example a lot of the proclaimed biggest artists in christian rock have like two albums and 
they were like they're like nine years apart or something like that. Yeah, and like they'll nominate like even though I know Disciple released like a deluxe edition or and stuff like that, and they did a live concert, but they'll be like nominated for Artist of the Year. I'm like, but there's bands like uh, Nine Lashes who, yeah, their songs haven't been great, but they they released five songs, they made a comeback, you know. It's like, and Red who dropped the entire album released this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they only released like one or two new Disciple songs of the deluxe edition stuff. I, I don't think know. the problem with the Christian rock industry is we try too hard to be like the contemporary Christian industry. Yeah, because yeah. it used to be contemporary Christian used to include rock and then excluded rock. And mm-hmm. the reason Christian metal is thriving right now is because we don't try to di- differentiate ourselves, be secular scenes, and and but we make sure to di- uh, differentiate ourselves from the contemporary Christian scenes, and that's why Christian metal is thriving. Versus yeah. Christian rock is constantly living under this uh, bubble, where it's like they're just underneath contemporary Christian. They're in their shadow of contemporary Christian because they either their record labels are owned by Capital. I mean, Rockfest is actually a subsidiary of Capital. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's just like, or you have Tooth and Nail, who they just, they're still kind of hanging on to what they once were, but they aren't that anymore. It's, yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah. Because and, now they're, just, they're constantly under this bubble underneath the CCM. And I'm going to be honest, A Hummingbird and a Hurricane was kind of inspired by that. Like, I just started to realize the Christian rock scene is dead. And I don't want to, like, leave it to die per se but i want to like i don't want to be stuck in it like i want a way out and so danger i think and i know i know y'all's feelings on danger danger i think was (laughs) like my cry for help in a sense of like i have to do something to make sure that i have a way out of here if i need it oh yeah i agree um and so a lot of the experimentation on that album was just like, I'm not going to allow people to put me in that box because it's the crab barrel analogy, which y'all might recognize from Finn McKenty. If yeah, you watch I recognize him. it. Like, I, d- I don't yeah. want to be, I don't want to be stuck in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> so even though Christian rock is my favorite genre and I'll always listen to it, I don't, Oh, I yeah. don't want to allow it's my definitely s- dying. Yeah, it's dying. It's dead well, or dying. I will say it seems like there's a lot of new artists and a lot of artists are starting to finally come back or start up that are starting to get some more traction. And I do think like me and Cole's pages have helped a lot, mm-hmm. but but still like you still just like notice there's a lot of artists that are still just like not there like in terms of just they're not really successful or making any money off of anything by any means. So yeah. It's interesting. And, like, um, there's, I'm not going to name any names, but there's one band uh, that they had a couple singles and they started to get a lot of traction and then realized that they were put, investing all this money and all this time and all this effort into, a, do, into the Christian rock scene, only to realize that the top uh, people in the industry don't, can't even make a living off of their own shows or merch or songs or anything like that. Like the like, not even Red. Red all has uh like they all have part time jobs somewhere. Like yeah, they don't make the money off of uh what they're uh they release, which is crazy for them because they're huge. But yeah, it's not like it's not like that. So 
I think there's definitely something that needs to be done with Christian rock, but I feel like it's putting itself in its bubble. Like it's being too exclusive to its own group of people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just not in a good situation right now. I have faith that the Christian rock scene will be born again, probably not to the same extent, and definitely not until they stop trying to be in the Christian CCM kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the biggest problem. And then not only that, but it's the same problem you have with a lot of these 2000s bands that really just tore off of legacy tours because everybody knows their one big hit song and they'll just promote that song for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like, I mean, just like, Bands like say like boys like girls like you mentioned or Hoopa Stank or whatever they're still raking in like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just off of the streams of those songs alone. And yeah, they'll do tours all the time with legacy tours and stuff with different bands from the era, but like they're one they're in the situation where they'll just keep you like they'll just keep using that song for everything and no matter what they release they're still just gonna it's that one song and that's what you see a lot with like Fireflight for example. Unbreakable. Uh, Unbreakable oh, yeah. just now hit like gold or whatever, but they, that's basically they're still kind of riding the wave of that song specifically. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's not helping we keep getting duds for the like albums and stuff from Christian yeah, Rock yeah. fans too. The big ones. It was so oh, hard to so nominate rock albums of the year. <laughs> Dude, it was tough. I didn't nominate Firefight just because I'm like, man, it just it. I want I wanted to, but just I no one was asking for it, and I tried listening to it. I was struggling. I was like, I know that they tried, but man, it's just it. Christian yeah. Rock is, is such a weird thing. But we could save this also for another episode. Maybe we'll have Angie uh, join us for another one. Maybe. Uh, maybe yeah. I would love to join you for an episode just to talk about the Christian rock industry. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> it's we fun. Need to, we need to do something like that. <laughs> Like yeah. get like Mary Nickel or Justin Forshaw or something on here, like people that are like the leaders of the industry or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool guys. Well, I just want to thank everyone for uh, listening to the ICRX podcast today. Please, please make sure to follow Andrew on Instagram at Two Dimensional Band. That is Two Dimensional Band, and then make sure to follow Mateo and I, which Mateo's Instagram page is Christian underscore Rock X. And then I am I Christian Rock. Um, just make sure if you want to uh, follow us, do that, like some of our posts, and also make sure to share this podcast on your story. So uh, thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.